the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, folks, it's Wednesday, December the 27th, and we are going to be talking to two whistleblowers. Count them one, two on the third day of Christmas. We're going to be talking to Aaron Stevenson and Tara Rodas, both coming from different agencies who saw the same problem, which is to say government sponsored child sex trafficking. If that sounds outrageous to you, it's time for you to pay attention. You're going to really enjoy the show. We look forward to it. And I'm Kyle Serafin. I'm an FBI whistleblower. I hope my own podcast at rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Some of you may be familiar with that. Some of you may have seen me in the movie Police State. I was here yesterday sitting in the chair, just like a new car when you're driving your buddies. It takes a couple days to get your hands on there and figure out where the defrost is. We're getting started, and we're going to be doing this all week on the Dinesh D'Souza Show. Looking forward to being with you guys. Stick around for the show. America needs this voice. The times are crazy. In a time of confusion, division, and lies, we need a brave voice of reason, understanding, and truth. This is the Dinesh D'Souza Podcast. Folks, thanks for joining us for the show today. As I said, it takes just a couple of minutes to get yourself kind of oriented. Now I know where the defrost is. I know where the buttons are. I know where the turn signals are. And we're going to talk about something that's been very near and dear to my heart. I have spent 2023 in the public light in a way that I had no anticipation and I had no expectation of doing if you had asked me it even a year ago. It just wasn't on my uh, my bingo card. And 2023, in many ways, has been the year of the whistleblower. More people have come out of federal service and come out of private industry and blown the whistle on malfeasance and abuse by institutions that we previously trusted than I've ever seen in my 42 years on this planet. It's almost surreal, and it does feel like there is a calculated effort that uh, there's a, a movement to correct a lot of the mistakes that have been made and a lot of the overreach that we've seen in the federal government and in our private industry that are now so entangled, as we heard from Matt Taibbi yesterday. Today, we're going to be talking to some very important whistleblowers who will tug at your heartstrings just a little bit. Aaron Stevenson, Tara Rodas, they're almost like the Abbott and Costello of the uh, the human trafficking expose. They've been explaining to people, starting with Project Veritas, and then kind of going out on their own. And they've made it a personal crusade to talk about child sex trafficking. That's probably one of the most difficult things you can talk about. There are really two things in this country that are almost off limits because they're so disturbing to us. One of them is child pornography. And the other one is child sex trafficking. They're both the abuse of the most innocent people and those who are unable, they have no ability to defend themselves. And that's kind of what Western society has always been set up for. It's been set up to do one thing. It's basically to protect the future, protect children and women, and allow the innocent to be innocent for as long as possible. We've seen a massive loss and a backslide on that particular topic. And these two saw it happening not just by a big institution, but by the one that we all pay for, which means we're all partially complicit if we don't know it. For me, that's a major problem. And they are what I call suspendables. Now, my little group of FBI whistleblowers, and you guys may have heard of Steve Friend, and you may have heard of my friend Garrett O'Boyle, they both sat on the Hill and testified. We're bringing another congressional testimony. Uh, we're bringing Tara Rodas, who sat in front of a panel and done that work. We're bringing another insider from the federal government who lost his job over this specifically. He went forward and said, this cannot stand. And rather than make the corrective action that you'd expect which is what all of our laws say they should do. We have whistleblower laws that you think are supposed to protect people for saying, hey, I'm going to throw the flag on this. This is not an acceptable way to operate on our tax dollars. What the actual thing that the federal government is most likely to do is to double down, remove the problem, kind of like the old movie Office Space, where they say, look, we're not going to go and fire this guy. We're going to fix the glitch. And the glitch is you're not supposed to speak out when you see something wrong. You're supposed to shut your mouth, look down at your paper, and uh, what we called in the military, just shut up in color. And the suspendables, which is a, a group that 
was accidentally named, we actually just called it that as a joke, and then the New York Times went forward with it, has sort of been founded in this year of 2023. And they come, we come from all different branches. We've got people who are in the federal air marshals under DHS. We have people from health and human services who are working there like Tara Rodas. We've got people who are working in the uh, citizen and immigration services like Aaron Stevenson and then members of the FBI and so on. All of these people have seen the same problems, which is malfeasance and abuse of our tax dollars doing things that are antithetical to the American way of life and the American values. And all of them have come forward and they've all paid some cost. Tara lost her anonymity. She lost her innocence in many ways. She lost her faith in our federal government, something that she worked at for a very long time. If you guys want to know what betrayal looks like, it doesn't come from an outside force. It doesn't come from an entity that uh, you didn't trust to begin with. If somebody comes up on the street and takes your, your wallet or your phone or your keys and drives off in your car, you go, oh, that was terrible. That happened to me. But that's not what betrayal is. Betrayal is when someone in your family does it. Someone that you've come to trust, that you have an expectation of loyalty and proper service. And those people, when they've come at you and they do something that absolutely offends every sensibility that you have and all of the most important moral beliefs you have, that's what betrayal looks like. And so whistleblowers who have come forward in 2023 have mostly experienced that betrayal, but they've kept going forward and talking and sharing the story. They refuse to be crushed. And this is going to be another opportunity for two people who refuse to be crushed by our federal government. They're going to continue to expose the thing that caused them to lose their comfort, their anonymity, uh, caused them to lose their jobs in the case of Aaron and their paycheck. It's not an easy thing to decide to become a whistleblower, but it is one of the second most important things. Yesterday, we talked about independent journalists, people who have the courage to go and investigate the most powerful apparatus that exists. The second thing are people from the inside coming out and saying, yes, you're right. That's how bad the problem is. And in fact, it's even worse than you thought. And let me tell you why. I'm going to bring the so-called receipts. I'm going to bring the documents. I'm going to tell you how this program that you've never heard of before is affecting you in your life and why you should care. And so these two have teamed up. We've seen them with Project Veritas. We've seen them with Public. We've seen them with Racket, like Matt Taibbi's organization. We've seen not the mainstream media and not the uh, the traditional sort of outlets that we've always gone and trusted. They've debased themselves over the last three or four years. And so independent podcasts like this and like my own and like the independent journalists that we talked to yesterday are the only people that are really going to be able to swing the balance back. And the credibility is going to be hard won for these institutions that refuse to acknowledge it until we have a course correction. So today's show is going to bring you something I think you're going to love. I think it's also going to make you feel uncomfortable. And I encourage anybody, once you've heard these stories, if you want to hear more of it, you follow them on the social medias that we plug. And you also go look for some of the old episodes of my own show where I've taken hours to talk to them because I think it's so important. This is going to give you just a little taste of some of the evils that are out there. And it's what happens when our overrun police state entities have decided not to focus on the problems that they have, but really to focus on the problem of you noticing what they've been doing. Okay. So stay tuned for this one. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with Aaron Stevenson and Tara Rodas, two whistleblowers who have, like I said, paid a pretty great price in their own personal lives and refused to back down. They're on a personal crusade against child sex trafficking, probably the evilest thing there is in this entire country right now. Stay tuned. All right, folks, let's talk about MyPillow.com. As you may know, Mike Lindell has a passage to help everyone get the best night of sleep in your life. And he didn't stop by just creating the best pillow. He's actually on MyPillow 2.0 right now. They're still going. But he also created the Giza Dream Bed Sheets. They look and feel great, which means that they're even better for a night's sleep, which is totally critical if you are someone who has a busy schedule. And I can tell you, as a father of four... With an infant, that is definitely me. Now, my folks love the uh, the percale, which are the crispier ones. These are the softer, warmer ones. This is my wife's style. Mike found that the world's best cotton, it's called Giza. It's an ultra soft, breathable, but extremely durable sheet material. And so the Giza Dream Sheets, they come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. Think about how many pairs of sheets or sets of sheets you've had that last for 10 years. That's actually kind of mind-blowing, isn't it? The Giza Dream Sheets come in a variety of colors. And sizes. Obviously, you have different size beds out there. You may have to order it for yours. Mike's latest incredible deal is that uh, they're at 50% off. You can get a sheet set for as low as $29.98. One of my buddies likes to say, if you're getting a deal like that, you're losing money if you don't buy it. Go to MyPillow.com and use promo code Dinesh, D-I-N-E-S-H, D-I-N-E-S-H. Use promo code Dinesh or call 800 
800-876-0227. You get the huge discounts on all the MyPillow betting projects. Again, that's 800-876-0227. And I talked to the marketing people at uh, MyPillow, and they tell me lots of people actually still use those 800 numbers. I had no idea. So anyway, check it out. Go to MyPillow.com using promo code Dinesh or call that 800 number and get yourself hooked up. All right, I want to welcome and introduce a, uh, a guest that you guys are going to really enjoy. This guy's name is Aaron Stevenson. He's a friend of mine. He's part of this group that I've kind of uh, put together that's called the Suspendables. It was an accident. It became a joke that uh, has become real. And he is certainly one of those people. A Suspendable is somebody who's lost their job for doing the right thing. And Aaron is one of those. So Aaron, thanks so much. And thanks for joining the show. Always. And thank you. All right, brother. I, I want to give people a taste of what you're about. There's so much out there. But let's start with your quick background, if you'll give me the bullet points on on where you worked, your federal service, and kind of set this up. Yeah. Um, I was a Marine for eight years. I contracted for two and a half years. And then I became a federal employee in September of 2012. And I worked at, I was a DHS the entire time up until February 2023, where I was fired at USCIS. Um, I did work for about 18 months at the beginning for CBP as well. Okay. Those acronyms, we were uh, Marine oh, Corps. Yeah. Marine Corps. That, that's the way um, it always goes. You're yeah. working for DHS entities, including CIS, which is what? Uh, citizenship and Immigration Services. So the legal um, immigration like jurisdiction land. And then CBP, which is Customs Border Protection. And their job is to manage the proper intake outtake of both uh, migrants and travelers, as well as cargo and you know things like that. And your background is analysis. You did uh, intelligence analysis, correct? Yep. Intel analysis. Uh, I was never a collector, but yeah, until, always until analysis. And you've done it on the ground. You've done it in an office, all kind of the environments, if I'm... Yeah. from I mean, that's going back, so back to my Iraq days. That was a, um, I mean, company, company level uh, analyst, like on the front lines with, you know, with grunts. That was, that was our role there. Also did it more uh, operational level at, um, you know, like the, the higher analysis centers. But then when I got to DHS, that became a lot more strategic nationwide, of course. So uh, every layer as far as uh, more of an umbrella, but of course, you know, different, different missions as well, if you will. You alluded to losing your job. Let's set up what you found and why that ended up taking you out of federal service, if you would. Yeah, I mean, there was, I blew the whistle on a few different things, but the first one, the most important one, and I think the biggest one, again, was I identified that the U.S. government is fully aware that watchlisted members, so known people that are on a watch list to identify people, uh, called the Transnational Organized Crime Watch List. And these these watchlisted aliens were literally getting the custody of unaccompanied children at the border. Um, we knew all about it. We knew when they were you know, trying to get these kids. We knew where they were at. We knew all information on them. And yet HHS, the Department of Health and Human Services, they were still releasing these kids to these, these bad people. And uh, that was the first thing I blew the whistle on. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I I would not change a single thing of how I got here, by the way. I would still take the firing, no problem, because it's led to, obviously, more efforts to to end this practice. You said bad people. You said transnational organized crime. Can you help people understand that don't deal with the law enforcement lingo, what those things are and some examples of what those people are? Yeah, so the, the, the name is in itself, obviously, with transnational organized crime. So the transnational part means you are part of an organization. That's the organized part. Um, which operates in more than one country, one of those being the United States. So we don't care about like the Nigerian Ghana gangs. They, they have no, no, nothing to do with us at all. We also don't care about, you know, g- gangs that don't have any real meaning with stuff. If they're not, you know, if there, if there was a small clique that was operating between Mexico and the United States and they were, you know, soliciting illegal pencil making, it, we wouldn't care. That's not a real big thing. We care about our national security level uh, enterprises, things that actually have a harm on the public safety. So this is drug trafficking, gun trafficking, human trafficking. Obviously, when it comes to um, more aggressive, uh, traditional crime with like murder, rape, arson, these are things that matter to American people. So this watch list was to identify all the the foreign people that were in these organizations utilizing the border to come do the activity here. And it, and again, it's, it's very clear cut. All this information was unclassified. It's a very effective program if it were to be actually utilized and leveraged. When we say things like cartels or organized crime, people have kind of pictures either of mafiosos sitting in a Italian restaurant and they're working deals and there's some street level guy standing outside. Or we think about guys who have like, you know, five o'clock shadow and they're wearing cool khaki pants and they're out in Mexico like we saw in like, I don't know, clear present danger or something like that. But or transnational organized crime cartels, these are billion dollar plus multi-billion dollar businesses. So when we're talking about trafficking, 
This is not like some guy smuggled somebody across the border. Can you talk about the level of enterprise we're actually looking at with these things? Yeah, you, you can actually do this a few ways. I should send you some of the things that I still have, obviously, when it comes to records of the size and scope of of this whole program and of these people. Um, we would get also reports that were like monthly prison releases. And these were all the dudes and gangs coming out of gangs uh, from prisons every single month. And the num- these number US that prisons? were... Yeah. And so the number that were inside of like MS-13, 18th Street Gang, Sinaloa Cartel, um, Paisas... These are like your your Central American, South American gangs, right? Huge. There's more prison releases of them compared to like Bloods and Crips. Everyone knows what a Blood and Crip is in America, and they're nationwide, but it doesn't even it, it pales to the the scope of what it is for the transnational part. And so, um, yeah, that that's it's hard to convey it without looking at the data itself. For me to at least convey it, I'm sure you can. So we'll definitely link up so I can show you these things because it's massive. It's not a it's not a small number at all. And the number of people that are on these these talk, these transnational organized crime watch lists, is it limited? Is that what I recall? Yeah. So now I'm operating off of information that ends at uh, February 2023. That's when I was fired. And at that time, the watch list was still capped, man-made cap. It was a limit that we set ourselves uh, at 40,000. So it would never get up to 40,000. And if it did, then they would maybe release the next threshold to 50,000. The agreement was to only in, make increments of 10,000 at a time. The problem was that if you were on this watch list as an alien and you were to enter um, a defensive asylum route or an affirmative asylum, if you were to enter a, an immigration process like we're seeing right now of asylum at the border, you were to come off this watch list until an immigration judge decided if you belong here or not. And that time frame now is obviously very long because as we, we've all been seeing, it, it might take you seven years to see an immigration judge. So people are coming off this watch list and waiting forever if they get back on there at all or not. And this is a major problem because if you're not on the watch list, we're no longer watching you. We can't see what you're doing. So all these other activities that they could be doing, we won't know on a federal level. It's only going to be like local police, maybe sheriffs might know some stuff, but not even fusion centers. So yeah, it's uh, it was capped at 40,000. I think the thing should be lifted entirely. I do think that the um, the mission itself, I think, has a bigger national security like factor compared to international terrorism. Now, when it comes to national terrorism, they may be the sledgehammer that goes, you know, bang every five minutes and hits really, really hard. But talk, the transnational organized crime, that's a hammer constantly hitting. So it's like yeah. it can do more damage over time. This is the size of scope of it. Like people are affected not just because, you know, 9-11, but there's robberies, there's extortion, there's rape, there's burglary. There's all kinds of things that affect American people every single day, which can really, really harm their lives as well. So and some of that is going to be uh, sex trafficking or human trafficking, which I want to talk, talk about in just a second. We're going to get uh, deep into that just after the break. So we'll take a quick break and we'll come back with Aaron Stevenson. It's the third day of Christmas. And what's better than three French hens? How about a gift of making your body feel great again? Here's an idea. Try Relief Factor. It's the gift that helps people feel relief from pain and feel good again. It's a daily supplement. It helps your body fight back against pain. drug-free, the Relief Factor formula was developed by doctors who were searching for an alternative to pain management. Relief Factor uses a unique formula of natural ingredients like turmeric and omega-3s to help reduce or eliminate everyday aches and pains that you may be experiencing. Can't argue with that. Whether it's neck pain, back, joint, muscle pain, Relief Factor can help you feel better because unlike pills that simply mask the pain, for a short period of time, Relief Factor is actually targeting the body's natural response of inflammation. You'll feel better all day and every day. That's the plan. See how Relief Factor can help you with their three-week quick start kit. It's $19.95, less than $20, and it comes with the feel better or your money back guarantee. So why not give it a shot? You can go to relieffactor.com or you can call 1-800-4-RELIEF. That's 800 800- the number four, relief, R-E-L-I-E-F. And you'll know the difference when it works. All right, we're back. We're still talking to Aaron Stevenson. He goes by at called underscore out underscore DHS because he called out DHS as a whistleblower, both uh, internally, and then he went public with his story with Project Veritas. And a lot of people missed it because it was during that time when Project Veritas was kind of being censored in social media circles. So I want to really hit the story home Tell people the pattern of facts that led you to think that this was an irredeemable program if you would kind of start and when maybe G, uh, chronologically it happened. Yeah. So um, 
This talk, this mission, the Transnational Organized Crime Watch's mission started back in 2016. And I was there from the beginning. So it's not like I walked into this thing and just like saw information I didn't know about. I was there for its inception. I was there for all the monthly meetings of how I got organized and crafted. I was on phone calls and I saw the policy making. I saw the sausage being made. So I understood it. Mm-hmm. And in February 2021, this was the first time we ever saw a record which showed that a transnational organized criminal was sponsoring a, a child at the border, these unaccompanied kids at the border. It's never happened in five years. And all of a sudden, February 2021, we see one. Then in one. March, just one. Then in March 2021, we see another. In April 2021, we see another. Now, this is going to keep happening up until they remove me from the program, which was in October 2021. You're seeing one about every three to four weeks. But this is the part that matters the most, I think, still to understand like this was an organized effort. Um, the people that we were seeing, the Washington members, they did not come from one gang and they did not come from one country. So again, you're seeing people from 18th Street Gang, MS-13, as well as a Balkan organized crime organization, which means these aliens were coming from Romania, Honduras, El Salvador, and Guatemala. It it would make a lot more sense if this was like one click from, you know, San Pedro or from, from some little corner of Honduras. That would make sense. Okay, they found a loophole, they're going to exploit it, got it. But all of a sudden, come the open border, a lot of gangs or a lot of countries know about this thing and they know how to use the process and go through the process. That made no sense at all. So that was kind of why I started reaching out to the rest of the government being like, hey, are you guys seeing this thing? Like, do you have any reports on this thing? I'm looking through like websites and like, you know, information portals and no one's collecting on this thing at all. And then when I saw that collection primer about um, what what the administration wants to focus on for organized crime for international gangs, I was like, oh, okay, they're not even looking for human trafficking. Like literally it's not even mentioned in the document. I'm like, okay, well, we're no longer there. We're not ready for this thing at all. And that's when it was like, yeah, I, we have to go forward now with this publicly. Um, because that was the biggest. So you, you made the decision basically that since the government has decided it wasn't a priority and you knew it was a problem for human beings that you brought this public. Um, I want to talk about the significance of the timeline real quickly. You said it started in February of 2021. Mm-hmm. Why then? Well, that's when the, well, so the border was, we already knew about the border going to be getting ran on. We knew that in December of 2020. Um, and we were seeing reporting coming from, I mean, a- anybody inside DHS. ICE knew about it, but CBP, Customs Border Protection, they were writing a lot of reporting, unclassified, about like what they're seeing as far as trends, what they're going to be seeing as far as a lot of like, hey, guys, we're seeing some like weird stuff down here. So we knew what was going to happen. Um, but as far as the size and scope, I don't think they knew because they could never even declare it themselves. The the quarter million a month numbers, that was never their initial analysis. And it obviously is still four, four years later almost right now. So um, why then? Obviously, because Biden administration has let it happen. Like, I've got this a lot, and it's kind of been an evolving thought over time, which is people will sit there and say, like, you know, like, oh, this isn't a political issue. We should be saving children. Yeah, yeah, it, it actually it is. This is now a political issue, though. And that's that's the thing. It's like, no, 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 because I get it. It shouldn't be a political issue. And one side of politics is writing legislation and, like, enforcement policies to let all these things happen. And to be fair, to give credit to, um, you know, like the Republican Party, which I'm not a member of, obviously, but Senator Grassley and some others, they're trying to push back on that rule change that we all fought against to prevent these practices from becoming law. And yet the Democratic side wrote a letter the same way, less of them, kind of endorsing it, being like, yeah, this is a good program, guys. You should keep it up. It's like, guys, we, this is a political issue. We now have to accept that. And it's just kind of part of the thing now. So, yeah, that, was, that wasn't easy. But yeah, and, and I want to state this in just one real simple way. Essentially, you saw a program that you saw inception to date start having people find the same loophole, which was to say they were removed from the transnational organized crime list by simply claiming some sort of a defensive asylum claim that would allow them to sponsor children. And they were previously associated with uh, various different Latin American gangs and, and Romanian organized crime. And then they were taking children on, which looks very problematic from anybody who's a parent. And so as that happens, it only started happening in February of 21 under the Biden administration. And it kind of looks like we're analysts. We're looking at this in an analytical way that there is some sort of back channel communication saying, hey, this is effective. And people from all over, not just the country, not just one region, but also the world are using the same technique to avoid scrutiny and then sponsor children, which they are taking out of the HHS, the human services sort of um, custody 
and they are taking it on themselves. And then they sort of just disappear from us, at least to the government's visibility. Is that pretty close? Correct. Correct. And because again, I told you, I found 12 people on that watch list trying to get kids. Every single one of them were in that little route for defensive asylum. And ironically enough, a few of them had previously in like 2018, 2017, whatever, and they were rejected. They were denied. They were like, no, you don't qualify for this. You're not going to get it. Or they would self-deport themselves be like, all right, well, I'm going to go back home anyways. Oh, the place that you can't return to because you're going to get killed. It's like, now you're just going to go back there. So it shows you that they understand the game. They know how it's utilized. Um, yeah, this is a very, very, I think, I'm not going to say it'd be easy or quick, but it's a very simple solution. This would not be hard to go through, find the data to not only end the practice itself, find more of the problem, obviously, but also like kind of correct the instruments the government utilizes or that government is for these gangs to utilize. This is not going to be a hard fix. If you put, if you put talent in these, in these roles, you can end these programs. And then real quickly, you got involved in the police state movie, which many of the uh, the viewers of the show will be familiar with. They'll, they'll say, oh, yeah, I recognize that face. That's the guy. Um, how did you end up getting in there? Just kind of a brief kind of touch. And then obviously, I, I recommend people watch this movie because it's going to touch a little bit, too. Yeah, I think I think it was Ryan Hartwig that meant that recommended me. I'm not positive. I forgot who it was. But uh, basically, Dinesh D'Souza texted me one day and was like, <laughs> hey, Aaron, this is Dinesh D'Souza. I'm doing whatever. And I was like, OK. So I was like, OK, dude, you know, responded. And he responded like, no, no, this this really is. So I called it. I'm like, hello? And it was Dinesh. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> it's Dinesh Souza. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's all it was. And then, you know, they just said like, you know, would you come interview with us? I said, of course. Uh, that's when Tara and I, Tara Rodas and I, we sat down together. We talked about it. Um, and yeah, they were a great crew. They were awesome people. I was, you know, talking to them about their jobs, like on, on the interview and stuff. But they were very authentic, very genuine. That was a cool thing too, by the way. I learned about Dinesh. Um, is I don't, I saw his first movie, I think it was Obama's America in 20, I forgot, I think it was 2012, Mm -hmm. but, um, I didn't know the guy obviously. And like meeting with him, talking with them, it was kind of like, well, this guy actually gets it. He understands where we're headed. If we stay on this course, like this guy kind of understands the, he, he gets it. Okay. Then that's pretty cool. He understands where we're going right now. It's always good to compliment somebody when they're not there. Um, on their own podcast. I think that's a really fun thing. I want to have people be able to follow you. There's a million things we could talk about and we've only got a short time. So where is the, is, is your true social and your Twitter? Is that the best place to follow you? If people want to keep updated with your, your crusade here? Yeah. And definitely Twitter the most, I think, because for whatever reason, my truth app, I don't know why it crashes a lot, I guess it doesn't, I think with my VPN, it doesn't work that well. So Twitter is the best one, but yeah, same handle for truth and also Twitter called out DHS underscores. Call underscore out underscore DHS. Aaron Stevenson, thanks so much for joining us. I'm looking forward. We're going to continue this conversation with Tara Rodas, his kind of partner in crime now, and the other half of the story right after the break. Thank you, guys. Merry Christmas. Folks, New Year's Eve is right around the corner. So how about a New Year's resolution to good health? Seems like a great idea. Most of us struggle to eat enough fruits and vegetables and fiber. So how about cutting that difficulty out and making it simple. How about balance of nature? It's an option that Debbie and Dinesh use. They look great. I just saw them for a week in Houston. People that are on the go don't always have time to try to make sure they're getting enough fruits and vegetables and fiber and so on. So with balance of nature, you can knock all of those out in one simple supplement. They're made from fresh whole produce. The produce is then powdered after an advanced vacuum cold process, which stabilizes the maximum nutrient content. Their balance of nature is using fiber and spice in a proprietary blends that overall increases your health and your digestive health. So just like Debbie and Dinesh, you can start the journey on their deal right now. Here's a phone number coming at you. Are you ready? It's 800-246-8751. Again, that's 800-246-8751. You can go to balanceofnature.com and you're going to get 35% off with the preferred order discount code America. Easy to remember that one, isn't it? America. Again, go to balanceofnature.com or call 800-246-8751 and get that 35% off your first order using the promo discount code America. All right. And we are back. And now we have, I don't know if it's the Abbott or the Costello of this partnership, but we have Tara Rodas. Uh, I met both Aaron and Tara on the same day 
in December at AmFest in 2022. They were both sharing the stage with me. And so we had a brief interaction. We've talked much more. And if you guys are interested in the story, I highly encourage you to go check out the podcast I've done with them, several of them. One of them was called Double Trouble, which is a great name for both of them for the federal government. And then also we uh, we did a recent interview talking about this rulemaking that Aaron just alluded to. Uh, Tara, welcome to the program. I'm looking forward to having people exp- kind of understand your story as well. Sure. Kyle, thanks so much for having me on. And it's always an honor to to follow my double trouble friend, Aaron Stevenson. So thanks so much. Now, you're sporting uh, our Suspendables logo, which some people will see kind of black on black on mine. You've got the pin there, which people can find. Uh, my buddy has kind of created this logo. It, it symbolizes government agencies in distress and under duress, which is what we're seeing right now. Um, tell me about when you first became aware of Aaron's story and what you were doing at the time. Yeah. So when I became aware of Aaron's story, this was August of 2021. I was actually deployed to the Pomona Fairplex emergency intake site and was part of the federal case management team who was processing or helping to process migrant children from the border and place them with sponsors in the United States. Now, there's an important caveat. We had turned in so many cases of suspected trafficking But when we went to the Pomona Fairplex, me, my other federal partners, we had no idea that bad actors were trafficking children through the program for labor and for sex. We had no idea. So I thought I was going on the humanitarian uh, mission of, of a lifetime, you know, as a federal employee. I've worked for the federal government for more than 20 years, although today I'm not speaking on behalf of my agency, but I was just stunned at all of the fraud that I was seeing in the system. So in August of 21, after reporting tons of trafficking, I see Aaron's disclosure on this um, video of this organization I had never heard of, which was Project Veritas. And Aaron, he's in the shadows, but he shows the paperwork that I knew was true. And he showed that an 18th Street gang and other members of transnational criminal organizations on the talk watch list, transnational organized crime watch list, were getting the children. And my husband's from El Salvador. And I'll never forget that moment. Like our entire federal government knows there's trafficking and knows there's been trafficking for a decade. But now our national security apparatus is aware that we're giving these kids to MS-13 and 18th Street Gang and other terrible criminal actors, I just, I honestly, if I had not seen it myself, I don't think anybody could convince me that the United States federal government has become the largest child trafficking operation on the planet. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. So I'm sure there's people who are listening are like, there's that's no a profound statement, by the way. Yeah, that's a yeah. very profound statement to say the U.S. government is the largest child trafficking organization. Yes. Yes, it is. And it's the most well-funded multi-billion dollar operation annually the United States government is pumping into this system through contractors and NGOs. So, for example, at the Pomona Fairplex where I was, the contractor was earning over $100 million a month. That was well, say, that, say that one more time. $100 million a month, the a contractor. Month. Yeah, that's a, a one point two billion a year. Yes. Now these sites are open for six months. Got the it. emergency intake sites, because you know they process eight nine thousand children in a six month period. So they earned a little over seven hundred million dollars in six months. Not not a bad gig, and that doesn't include the transportation side of it. And our our great hero Carlos Ariano. Uh, who was transporting the children from our site and all the other sites all around the country under the cover of darkness to now what we know are criminals and members of transnational criminal organizations who are abusing these children. It's it's just horrific. So your special skill set to go over there, to be fair, was that you spoke Spanish. Yep. And I think that you have a big heart. Was there anything else that you were selected based on other than that you're not a criminal investigator and they they sort of filtered those people out from the uh, list? Um, no, they just had everybody apply and then they took people who had, I mean, it could have been my teaching skills. It could have been my background in project management. I teach project management. Uh, so it could have been that, but they never told us exactly why each one of us were chosen. But the main reason was that I am a fluent Spanish speaker. My husband is from El Salvador. I've traveled extensively in El Salvador. 
I've been to Guatemala and Mexico and mi español no es perfecto, pero yo puedo hablar. So it was really important that they had someone greeting the children who could, you know, give them a smile and ask them about their trip. And I really thought I was just going to be coloring and doing puzzles with the kids until they had a need in case management. So, you know, I figured, hey, that was something that I could definitely do. And I remember talking to some of the agents uh, and investigators that I work with. I'm like, hey, when you're, you know, when you're dealing with small children, do you have any, do you have any advice? And I'll never forget some, some great people, great people who I, who I have to give a shout out to at HHS, Office of Inspector General. They were like, Terry, you get on their level. You know, if they're, if they're like six or seven, you know, you sit in those little chairs with them. Yep. And so that's, you know, that's what I did in the very beginning until I went over to case management. You speak Spanish. You've worked for the government for a long time. You see Aaron's video and you have got it. Like, what is the feeling when you realize what you're involved in versus the expectation that you had? What was that like? Yeah. Well, Kyle, I am not ashamed to admit that I cried a lot of tears um, when I realized we were giving kids to MS-13. I felt like panic. Up until that point, I had been reporting, reporting, reporting and had, you know, I know my lane of what are legal pathways, right, that I can report. And so I'm reporting, 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 and I'm knowing that some of my other federal partners are going outside, you know, various chains of command. So I'm like, I'm going to let them do that. I'm going to stay in my lane. But report, report, report as high as I possibly could to every organization that I knew. And then when it became MS-13, I said, hmm, now, now I have a new, I have a new avenue. And that was Department of Justice, Office of Inspector General. And so I'm very grateful to some people there who took this extremely seriously. And it's very sad that HHS, the agency, Department of Health and Human Services, they did not want the American people to know that the United States government, with their tax dollars, was sending children to members of the transnational organized crime watch list. They didn't want that getting out. They did not want it getting out that we were giving kids to MS-13. And once I started reporting that, that's when things, you know, the heat got turned up. It took them less than 30 days to, you know, sure. threaten me with investigation, perp walk me off the site. It was not, it was an interesting day. And we're going to talk about uh, what happens when they decide to push you that way in just a second. We're going to take a quick break and we'll come right back with Tara Rodos and uh, discuss more. All right, folks, we're talking about New Year's resolutions. Let's look back at 2023. My friend Dinesh and Debbie, they both got on PhD weight loss and lost weight. Now, there's a bad news that comes along with that. You probably got to replace a lot of your clothes and some things are not going to fit the way they used to. Uh, but that seems like a good problem to have. Debbie's lost 24 pounds. Dinesh lost 27. They're both on the maintenance doses right now. They look great. They got tons of energy. These are very busy people. You guys probably know this already if you watch the show. Uh, the program is based on science and nutrition. That means no injections, no pills, no tons of hours in the gym. Who's got time? And uh, no severe calorie restrictions. It's just good, sound, scientifically proven nutrition. It's pretty simple. They make it easy. They're going to give you 80% of your food at no additional cost. And then they tell you when and what to eat. Guess what? You can do it without being hungry. Sounds like a winner. Uh, the founder, Dr. Ashley Lucas, has had her PhD in chronic disease and sports nutrition. She's also a registered dietitian and she helps people lose weight. Most importantly, she helps them maintain that weight loss for life. Honestly, any diet that you can't follow and any program that you can't keep for life, it's just going to be a gimmick. This is the opposite. Go ahead. And if you're ready, take the steps that Debbie and Dinesh did call PhD weight loss and nutrition at 864-644-1900. Again, 864-644-1900. Or you can just find them online. Spell out myphdweightloss.com. Again, that's myphdweightloss.com. Give them a call or try online. So Tara, they walked you off the site they removed you and thought that was enough to probably quiet you down, which is what happens for most federal employees. Once they get their hands slapped, they usually go back and become good federal employees. You didn't do that. What did you do? No, I then began to tell every single person up the chain. You know, the first thing was, as I'm I literally could hardly catch my breath as they're telling me that I'm under investigation as they are perp walking me off the site, you know, in between. So did you enjoy California? 
oh, and by the way, you know, we're going to investigate. So I was like, holy smokes. So at that point, you know, I had been reaching out. I started then reaching out to all my contacts and I said, okay, what is the next step? What is the next thing that I can do that is going to save the children? Because that's what I was concerned about at that point. I'm like, I'll get another job somewhere, someday, whatever. But right now, what is the next best thing that I can do? And so they're like, well, you've got to call your SES and let them know what's happening first, because let's That's see if you can. Top, top line supervisor, special executive or senior executive service. These are the people that are outside the normal pay grade. And you had to go get that cleared and see what you could do. Is that correct? Yeah, I had to call my boss and be like, hey, this is what's happening, because no one at my agency knew that I was working trafficking cases because they did not have a need to know. They were not like technically in a protected channel. And they certainly didn't know that I was working transnational organized crime, right? They had no idea that I was working MS-13. So I had to tell, you know, the big the big boss. And he said, do not worry. He's like, take a deep breath. He says, we're going we're gonna to have some conversations amongst <laughs> ourselves here. And then I'm going to call you back. He's like, you just, he said, Terry, you've done the right thing. He said, whistleblower protection. He said, you did the right thing. The fact that they retaliated against you in less than 30 days does not look good. He says, and by the way, are you safe? Do do I need to send agents to come get you? So they were going to escort me home because they were concerned for my physical safety. So thank God that there are there are some great people in the federal government. And I give them, you know, a real sincere Thank you for not just helping me on that day and through the days to come, but also through this entire process of being able to testify before Congress and talk to people on Capitol Hill about my stories. So I'm very fortunate. I'm one of the few whistleblowers who, although, you know, walked off the site, my badge taken, I was able to go back to my agency because they were appalled that HHS would retaliate against a person who's trying to save children, which is supposed to be their mission. But actions, yes, actions tell you where a person's true motives are. And so I've seen the actions of HHS and I've heard their comments and what they care about is move the kids, man. It is speed over safety. And that's, that's their goal. That's interesting. Go ahead. Well, what's what's really interesting is your situation is unique among all the people that fall into our little clan of suspendables, all these little people that worked for the federal government, saw wrongdoing, called it out, and then paid the consequences. You paid the consequences in a temporary job because it wasn't your full-time gig. And the rest of us saw it in our full-time gig, which we lost. And that's the most amazing part, I think, about your story specifically is that you were filling a role, you got removed from that role, but you still had your real job to go back to, and they actually did the right thing which is the opposite of what we normally expect. Because usually when you call somebody out, you're actually calling out your own employer and they don't tend to look very kindly on that. Um, I want to hone in on something that I think is most important for people to understand logistically speaking. When you and I have spoken uh, previously, you mentioned that the United States government is acting like the last mile transportation delivery service for these organized criminals. Can you talk about inception all the way to handing off what that looks like? So people get a, a sense of what trafficking looks like. I think that word is abused. Yeah, sure. So trafficking involves force, fraud, or coercion for the purposes of either like labor, sex, or organ harvesting. It could be any of those things. Um, But in this particular case, because I was working directly with the children, hearing the stories, talking with the case managers, and the children were telling us what was happening. So for example, there is a Guatemalan national, and I doubt he's been picked up, uh, sitting in Austin, Texas. His scheme was he had a coffee farm in Guatemala and he had boys working on that coffee farm. And he said to them, hey, hey, guys, you're special. And I'm going to bring you to the United States where you can work for me here instead of on my coffee farm where they were making two dollars and 50 cents a day. And this is four children in two locations interviewed by separate case managers so that their interviews could not be tainted. Right. They all said the same thing. They were working for $2.50 a day and that they were going to be able to make $6 an hour here working for the sponsor. So these children believed they were going to be Elon Musk rich. And that is the fraud, right? The deception. So these little boys make the journey, one of whom had never been to school, couldn't read, couldn't write in order to become a slave, you know, to this guy. 
So it's just, it's terrible that what's happening is the children are being recruited from home country. Children were telling us, hey, we are hearing advertisements on the radio. People are knocking on our doors. You know, literally, they're doing um, just like door knocking for political campaigns. They are door knocking as traffickers to bring these kids because they earn money off every child they bring. So once they get them to the border, all they do is turn them over to the U.S. government, to HHS. And then HHS flies them the last mile, white glove delivery. If you've been following Muckraker or Carlos text, you'll see in, in all these pictures, there are children with escorts. It's a terrible word. Um, transportation specialists who are delivering, literally delivering the children all over the country on federal dollars. Yeah. So this is, this is crazy. So if you're a cartel member, you're MS 13. Like these people are nuts, and They're the United States us. government is part of my business plan. Exactly, we, in the same we way that you might perfect plan. Yeah. Some people might work in, um, you know, that they do an eBay business, and that means the U.S. Postal Service is part of their business, uh, part of their business plan. And these people have decided, hey, if you can drop them into that pipeline then they're going to get where they need to go. The last thing I want to hone in on as we kind of uh, wrap this up is the difference between a one-time use asset and a, a residual value that we see in the trafficking. Why it's so much better to be able to traffic a person versus let's say drugs or other contraband. Yeah, so Kyle, that's a, you know, that's a sad thing that I wish I I actually never knew. I didn't realize that criminals viewed children as commodities. You know, that they actually, instead of being able to sell a drug one time, one time use, once they have a child in their possession, they're able to use that child day after day, week after week, month after month in whatever form of trafficking they have them in. And so they are earning residual income off of the lives of the children. If they're sex trafficking, they're, they're earning money every time they have that child turn a trick for them. And it's 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 just abhorrent that the United States government is funding this operation more than five billion a year to move these children to criminal sponsors and criminal elements all around the United States. It's it's very honestly, again, if I had not seen it myself with my very own eyes, heard the stories of the children, seen, you know, even the New York Times disavow. But, you know, they're they're doing reporting. They're getting the data. Yeah, they can't help it. Yeah. 85,000 children gone in two years. How is that possible? In a multi-billion dollar government program. How is that possible? Lack of interest. We see it. Um, tell people where they can follow the work because you've basically taken this on as a personal crusade, which once you've seen evil, you got two choices. You can either ignore it or you can start getting active. You've chosen to get active. Where can people follow you? So the only place I'm active regarding government-sponsored, taxpayer-funded child trafficking is on Twitter, X, right? On X. And that's at Tara Lee Rodas. So Tara Lee Rodas on X. T-A-R-A-L-E-E. R-O-D-A-S. R-O-D-A-S, yes. I know, it feels like a, like a Mickey Mouse thing. R-O-D-A-S. Uh, Tara, thanks for joining me. Thanks for being the other half of the uh, the Aaron and Tara show, which is so, so powerful, the stuff that you guys have to say. And I really appreciate you guys always speaking out and not being afraid. God bless you and uh, Merry Christmas. Yes, God bless you, Kyle. Thanks so much. Merry Christmas. Folks, I hope that was informative. I hope that it tugged at your heartstrings and I hope it actually spurs you into action to looking more into the things. We can't focus on everything, but we certainly can focus on the one thing that moves us the most. And that's what I'm gonna encourage you to do. We've started kind of a little trend for this week. I like to tell a narrative throughout all my weeks when I do my show. And I'm doing the same thing with Dinesh's, so bear with me here. We started off with an independent journalist. We brought on to you some whistleblowers. I'm gonna bring on another independent journalist tomorrow. We're gonna be talking to Tracy Beans about something that should very much be familiar to you. And most people don't know about it. It's the single most important free speech case in the United States, possibly ever. This is the Missouri v. Biden case. We're going to cover down on all of the major uh, arguments, and it all relates to what's been going on both between independent journalists, between government censorship apparatus, and then also the fact that there are members, thank God, of some of our state legislatures and some of our attorney generals that have decided, hey, we're going to step up for the people. This is the reason why local government is so important. 
So stay tuned for that. Definitely check us out tomorrow. And let me leave you with one little amusing thought. I mentioned yesterday that we have points of light in a season that is dark. That's what that's what the winter solstice is about. That's a lot of times how Christmas was set up. Um, the thing that is very amusing to me is I just saw a Fox News piece and they have just demoted New York City, which is a disaster in many ways, from being the number one spot for New Year's Eve. Now, that seems really easy to do because New York City on New Year's Eve, it's cold, it's miserable, there's tons of people, they're all packed into Times Square. It may be a tradition, but it's not a great one, at least in my opinion. And because of the unrest and because of the fact that they've defunded their police and made it so difficult, there's actually a new number one place to celebrate New Year's Eve. And those of you who have moved to the free state of Florida are going to be psyched. Uh, it's in Orlando. That's number one. And San Diego actually fell in number two. I find that very comical. Uh, the idea that people who are from a place that is cold decided that maybe they'd want to go somewhere warm for New Year's Eve. So as we look into this Christmas Eve and a little bit of light in the dark. Uh, the Big Orange is now replacing the Big Apple as a destination New Year's Eve spot. I think that's just kind of an indicator of how things are going to come as we walk into 2024. Again, a, a year that is going to be a massive, massive swing and going to have a lot of bearing on how the next probably 10 or 15 years actually play out in this country. So stick around, come back, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow with Tracy Beans for Missouri versus Biden wrap-up. And uh, this has been... The Dinesh D'Souza Show. Thanks for joining me. I'm Kyle Serafin. Subscribe to the Dinesh D'Souza podcast on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Or watch on Rumble, YouTube, and SalemNow.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com. <laughs> 